A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is Katie Giorgio of the Sound Effects podcast. Katie is a practicing psychotherapist and also a huge music lover who brings the two subjects together beautifully on a fascinating pod. I've always been interested in the crossover of these two subjects myself. Music's played a huge role in my own mental health. Mostly it's been good, but as I discussed with Katie in this episode, one of the biggest signs that I'm starting to struggle with my mood is when I stop being able to listen to music. Katie's investigated all the different angles on the role music plays in our minds and in our moods, so I was very excited to discuss it all with her in a bit of depth. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Katerina, welcome to The Reset. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? Really, really well. Thanks so much for sparing the time to talk to me today. I'm a fan of your sound effects podcast, um, and it's a subject that I'm really, really interested in, is the relationship between music and mental health. I've always wanted to cover that in some depth on The Reset, um, and I don't think I've really had an opportunity to do that. So I'm so happy that you agreed to come on. Um, what, how did the podcast start? Um, well, I started it in 2017. Um, it's quite a complicated answer for how it started but I guess um it's a combination of things because um it was the interest in music and the interest in mental health and then how the two things collided in my career so when I was uh obviously very young when I was a teenager um I've got an older brother and he um was really into music he was in bands um so I was very used to as a teenager my brother coming home with his guitars and his friends coming around and they were always like recording stuff and and playing um and something I noticed I was only 13 or 14 at the time obviously it was around the time of Britpop they were sort of into that as well and and loads of other music too so I was used to hearing it a lot um I noticed that there was um something going on with um him and his friends watch as a younger sister watching my older brother and his friends who were older but also um, 
trying to find some kind of escape in music through being in a band and trying to create some kind of identity um, and sort of being quite impressionable at that age they would often try to influence me on my music choices and so kind of um, two things kind of happened in parallel where I witnessed um, something about identity going on with with young guys um, and the connection to music from then but also what had happened to me is my own experience of how music was impacting me emotionally so um, I hope it's okay to like jump straight in with like an example because it's kind of linked yeah so um, if I think back to say I think it was 1995 yes it would have been Glastonbury 1995. Um, I would have obviously been way too young to go to any gigs or festivals, um, but it was always on the TV. I remember that summer was really hot and it was June and it, it was on the TV. And it was that summer that Oasis played uh, on, I think it was it the main stage. I can't remember which stage they played on, but um what was happening for me around that time is my grandmother was very unwell. So me and my brother were often going to the hospital to visit her. Um, it's a little bit of a sad story because she was very poorly and she was dying. Um, but what had happened is there was a kind of um, coinciding between me being in the hospital and feeling very, very low Um and kind of watching my grandmother in the ward and looking at the ward and feeling kind of like this place is quite a miserable place. Um, and the waiting room was was quite sort of sad looking room. And um, my brother obviously sensed I was a bit low and he said, why don't you come into the waiting room? Like they're playing Glastonbury on the, on the screen now. So at that point I went in this waiting room and there was just this tiny little um, video, like, it was a one of those old televisions in the in the top right hand corner. It was very fuzzy, but it was just at the point where they were playing footage of Oasis playing the Forever. And in that moment, I looked up and there was um, a picture. Well, it was the image of Liam's face, just his face in the microphone with a tambourine around his neck. And I remember thinking this man looks extraordinary. I don't know what it was, but it was something about the way he had the tambourine around his neck and he was singing, I want to live forever. And it was the juxtaposition of hearing him sing, I want to live forever, whilst knowing my grandma was dying, that made me realise, um, oh, there's another world out there. There's, there's, there's something out there that I'm not privy to. And I'm sad in here. Um, and life isn't all about death and sadness and, and despair. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, I was only like 12, 13, thinking, is this the is this the point of life, you know, just being sad and old? But actually here was Liam singing, I, I don't want to live, I don't want to die, you know, I want to live forever. And it triggered something, it was like a light bulb switch. And um, there was something in that that impacted me around music and what that did to me um, emotionally so it was a, a combination of that experience becoming a music fan and watching my brother and what was going on for them which then um, kind of cemented these two threads of interest in both how um, 
music impacts emotionally but also the music industry and what being in a band gives um I guess people what the kind of identity it gives them and what goes on in the music industry as well and then when I got older I started writing a lot more and I I was writing about music and then I noticed um something quite dark around every time I spoke to musicians I noticed there would be these stories that would come out these stories of like excess and rock and roll and and there'd be like something told to me like as if it was a funny story like oh I got completely smashed and this happened and this happened and so and so but there would always be something tragic at the heart of the story someone was ill someone's died someone's um you know so quite horrible vision like images I remember thinking this isn't funny this isn't rock and roll this isn't uh whatever it's being packaged as all I felt was this is incredibly sad so there was that thread that then joined as well and after I became um a therapist I kind of just wanted to combine all those threads together to give me the idea that I wanted to do a podcast combining these two themes of I was now a therapist and I wanted to um look at the mental health impact of music and also look at uh, the mental health within the industry and combine the two things together Mm. and it's two conflicting things I guess isn't it I mean you're saying that on the one hand being a a music fan someone who listens to music is largely a positive thing for your mental health because it opens up a different perspective on life and, and and triggers different largely positive emotions but in terms of the the people who are making this music that brings joy to so many of us, they're having to sort of often go through through hell to do it. I mean, I've written before though about this sort of what I perceive as the the false kind of connection between hedonism and and creativity, and this idea that you know any great rock and roll star or talent needs to be troubled um needs to have that kind of uh hedonistic way about them you know you need to be Jim Morrison or or Keith Richards to be great what what, what's your point of view on that is there a connection between pain hedonism and and good creativity I think it's such a dangerous narrative and it's something that um is quite well understood now, I think, within therapeutic circles that making those kinds of connections um, is quite unhelpful for the people who are in creative industries, but also it, it kind of overlooks the, the issue of things like hedonism and addiction in other aspects of the world as well. So... Um, uh, what do I mean by that? I I guess that there's two things to that because if you if you if you start to create a connection between um, suffering and creativity, you get a scenario where you have all these these things like the Twenty Seven Club, and you have um, this sort of romanticizing of um, death and suffering. And it can put someone in a creative role into this belief that that's that they need to suffer for their art and and that idea, which um, can be um, 
disruptive for them. So if they if they have a um, disruptive streak, they're going to feel that that needs to be fueled. Or if they don't have a disruptive streak, they might feel that they need to somehow create one in order to be a better artist. And we understand like. Uh, um, there is quite a strong connection and link between, and this is something I, I'm happy to go into as well, between, um, you know, things like suicidal ideation, um, that there is a strong um, contagion effect that has been researched and understood around how um, people can sort of copycat suicidal behaviour. So when, when you're um, looking at these ideas of like the 27 Club with Kurt Cobain and with um, even, you know, down to people like Amy Winehouse or like you said, Jim Morrison, um, there can be an emulation of that behaviour. Um, so it can be quite um, quite a dangerous narrative to perpetuate and it can have real repercussions. Um, and what I'd also say is actually when you look at the number of, of people who suffer, there are plenty of people who are not creative um, at all, who also take their own lives, um, mm. pe- people who um, are alcoholics and, and addicted to drugs, who who don't have um, any um, creativity at all. There's plenty of people who work at, uh, in supermarkets and um, or in banks or lawyers who, who suffer these issues. So to kind of directly put a link between these two things as intrinsically connected, I think is quite, uh, is, a, is a way of overlooking the bigger picture. But that's, that's not to say that there aren't aspects of how the industries work that can kind of influence um, kind of predispositions to mental health problems that can exacerbate that kind of thinking as well so it's it's quite complex but um I'm quite cautious around kind of perpetuating that myth and I think probably that has probably been said to you before in other interviews as well um and I know that other therapists say similar things um I don't know if you if you agree with that or not i don't know i i agree i agree and i but i i can see it from both sides and today mm-hmm. sitting here now i i agree with you and i and i thought this for a while and i really think it's unhealthy the kind of portrayal of you know sort of pretty pretty depressing kind of hedonistic like behaviors that that are usually miserable for the person who's living through it as romanticized or as like almost evidence of being like a sort of a glamorous, glamorously flawed individual. So, but I also know the other side. I know that when I, I was drinking and taking drugs in a way, it's, it's one of the many things that contributes to it. It's one of the many things that stops you feeling like you need to make a change because you can tell yourself, oh, well, I, I do creative things. Or even I can imagine if you didn't do anything creative, if you were a bloody accountant and, you know, and you were, and you were, you know, developed a drink or drug taking problem, perhaps because of the rock and roll connotations of that, it might make you feel, well, this is good because it means that I'm more than just a, an accountant. I'm, I'm living something that's slightly more, edgy and sexy or, or whatever. And I think all of those things are really dangerous. It's a big cultural force that contributes to people 
very often falling into pretty miserable ways of living. I think it definitely played a role in, in mine, probably. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with you. That said, you know, some people have said to me, some even professional people have said to me over the years, well, of course, without, I mean, if we take the hedonism out of it, if we take drinking and drugs out of it, they have said without the anxiety and and the sort of, you know, volatility of, of your mental health and your emotions, perhaps you would be less driven and less creative. I don't know mm. if that's something that you've heard and whether you agree with it. I have heard it and I can see where that's coming from because I think if you've been through a period of suffering, um, what can often happen is like through your way of processing it, you can you can process in quite creative ways. So people can become quite poetic in moments of despair because I guess what's happening is you're losing your verbal um, dexterity when, when you're in a an experience of when you've experienced trauma or you're in an experience of uh, low mood words don't necessarily come to you you know the the ability to articulate isn't as easy always and especially if you're having a trauma response and you're desensitized your body's kind of shut down your access to that goes but what doesn't go is your um visual um you know metaphor imagery that that comes to you and is more accessible to you so it would make sense that in a in a period of suffering you become um creatively attuned to um imagery metaphor words poetry which makes sense you know um music as well um music art dance all of those things um and that's kind of why um you may already know this I don't want to say anything you don't already know but like you have different kinds of therapy and and a lot of people don't know that there's things like music therapy art therapy drama therapy Mm. and those kinds of creative psychotherapies are actually very powerful for people who um for whatever reason don't have a verbal um don't have access to verbal um what's the word they can't verbalize clearly so that could be because um maybe you're autistic it could be because you're going through psychosis it could be a neurological issue you might have had an accident um and maybe someone in that position can't articulate with words what's happening for them but they can sit with a music therapist and the music therapist can play a piece of music and the person can respond emotionally to it with music um, and likewise with art and all sorts of things can come out that can then be explored together without needing words and that's kind of how those arts therapies um, operate but if you kind of uh, map that onto the idea of creativity even outside of the therapy space you can quickly understand how people can sort of turn to those outlets much more easily in moments of trauma and anxiety, depression, any kind of mental health issues, sadness, despair, any big um, emotions like grief um, and um, make it into art. So there is there is merit in, in saying, you know, it is common that people can become creative through their suffering. But I think the thing there is, it's about process. So the suffering has happened. 
and then you're processing it through art but that's very different to being um in a position of acute despair where nothing creative is accessible in that moment mm-hmm. um and I think they're quite different things that you don't have to have one to access the other even if one can can help the other sometimes as well yeah, yeah. I, I you know for, for me um a big turning point for my mental health was the point about five years ago when I made a decision to give up listening to all talk radio and replace it entirely with music I'd always yeah. been a music fan but I needed more and more the reminder that music gives me about a bit like what you said at the beginning, a different life, a different world. Really, you know, great music is is sort of an expression about being human and, yeah. and all the sort of universal feelings and experiences. And the things that tended to get me down were the other stuff that didn't feel particularly naturally human to do with just the mad, busy you know working kind of life whether it was like you know whether I was listening to a radio where there was terrible stories about politics or the environment or even sport I couldn't handle it it was just too too much too much stimulus and too many too much fuel for for my anxiety and listening to stuff that was just about the experience of being human good or bad felt much more grounding that said that said there was a period in my life probably about 12 years ago before I got sober but also before my drinking got out of hand it was just my first taste of really of of what I would now reflect on as a mental health crisis and the reason I I thought of it as a crisis was that it got the point for me where I thought okay this is really serious and it was the first time I went to see a therapist is I stopped being able to listen to music I just was completely unable to I couldn't listen to any song without the lyrics, if it was a song with lyrics, which most of the music I listened to was, without the lyrics somehow being twisted into something dreadful and anxiety triggering, no matter what the song was about. Mm. And some and, and so then I thought, oh what I am gonna I'm gonna try and listen to music without lyrics. And then even the melody would sort of almost, even if you were listening to the most upbeat melody in the world, it, it would somehow become mournful. I found that terrifying because now looking back today, it's the one thing that I can always turn to that will probably lift my mood or soothe me at least, you know? Um, and I remember that was one of the first things I, I said to the, uh, the first therapist I ever saw. And he said to me, why are you here? And I said, well, you know, I just, my mind is locked 100% of the time into worry, anxiety, and fear. And from the moment I wake up to the moment I sleep, that's all that's going on. And nothing I can do can, to distract it. And he said, well, give me an example. I said, well, I, I've listened to music my whole life. I'm mad passionate about music, but I I cannot listen to music. I, it terrifies me. I was actually terrified of music. Oh, um, and that is something that, and, and I suppose it, when I look back on that, it makes me feel so much better today because the difference between how I was then, how I'm now, is that the reverse is true. If I'm having a little bit of a bad moment or a bad day, I can always soothe myself by choosing the right music. Um, is I'm just interested, really, in your in your work as a psychotherapist. Is have you ever have you ever heard of something like that? Can people's relationship with music be both good and bad? I've heard it often, but 
I have sometimes heard it. Um, I mean, it's common to lose interest in things that you might ordinarily love. That is common. Yeah. Um, I mean, I want to make sure I answer that question properly because I'm just thinking about how that might have been for you that there's a kind of like, I don't know if there's a kind of hypersensitivity in that moment because you, you said in that moment you were feeling um, so anxious that listening to the to the music was making you feel especially mournful or it was like mm. too much. There was a too muchness to it. Mm. Is that is that what you meant? It was too yes. much. Yeah. Yeah. That I think is something that does come up in the therapy room a lot this too muchness so not necessarily in relation to music but um just sort of um a kind of obliteration of the senses um kind of you know sight sound noise um sensitivity to things can be too much um so i think I mean that makes sense to me. It, it, there's a kind of shutting down, like you, you, you would have been um, potentially like in a hyper vigilance. Um, I wanna, I might think about that a bit more because, yeah, I, I might give that a bit of thought and come back because I don't know that I'm. I mean, I want to make sure I give a proper answer to that. <laughs> well, listen, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I've certainly not no. tried to seek kind of a, a bit of cheeky free therapy no, from no. you while I've got you. <laughs> it just, it's something that popped into my yeah. head while I'm thinking about the influence music has uh, on me. Um, I'm, and I'm just grateful that, you know, now. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I can use it in the exact reverse way. Uh, you've talked to us about, you know, the, how you, 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 your mind was open to to the power of music and the effect it could have. What about your route into psychotherapy? What led you down that road? So that road was slightly less clear initially. So um, I, I would say that. Probably the roots of it, like um, noticing that I was someone who was quite um, sensitive and like people would come to quite often and share things with, was always there from a young age. But for me, something around the age of 17 <clears throat> kind of solidified it a bit more because I had a friend at school who... Um, out of the blue um and it was completely out of the blue had attempted suicide and I remember at that age um feeling I 
just was quite shocked um, because what I remember is that she was, for all intents and purposes, um, someone I experienced as probably one of the most um, vibrant and happy and, and positive thinking people I knew. And so that news really took me by surprise and I think it flipped everything on its head. So from that moment on, um, I didn't really take anything at face value. I just kind of thought all the people around me, whatever I'm seeing, isn't the actual picture. So from then on, any time I spoke to anyone, I was kind of almost hyper attuned to what wasn't being said. So right. if someone if someone said anything to me like, um, you know, they recently moved country and they and they're living on their own or something like that, even something as simple as that, or they've changed jobs, I wouldn't be thinking, oh great, they've changed jobs, how exciting. I'd be thinking oh, I wonder how that is for them. They've changed jobs. They might be in a state of flux um, mm. or they're living on their own. I wonder what support they have. I might just check in on that later. I started to kind of think more along that lines. Um, and then what then happened is I was studying at the time and I was at university and I went abroad to study in France um, and I got triggered into this kind of acute period of anxiety and um, that anxiety led me to contact uh, support which I couldn't find because I was in another country and there was like a language barrier so I kind of went down this rabbit hole of trying to access support and this was like 2003 so um, there wasn't anything out there the internet was really sparse there was you know there was there was no google I don't think at that time I think it was like ask Jeeves I think it was around that time um and um I couldn't find any information anywhere um but there was a kind of fortuitous email that arrived because my university was affiliated um it was um affiliated to the institute of psychiatry because there's lots of different colleges that were part of my university and they would often send um the institute of psychiatry would often send through um emails asking for participants to take part in various bits of research and on this particular day there was an email saying um have a look at this questionnaire if this relates to you um let us know if you want to be a volunteer and when I looked at the questions on the questionnaire every single question related to what I was feeling and it was like oh my god I this is exactly my experience and I replied back with a with like a stream of conscience um and the person that replied was really kind and sort of um said you know this is this is more common than you think um and basically to cut a long story short that kind of set me on a trajectory to initially thinking um I wanted to uh I didn't want anyone to feel the way I had felt I wanted to somehow pay that back that was the initial sense and it started with me thinking about working on a helpline and that's when I became at that point um I became interested in Samaritans um 
so it took a few years before I actually sort of took the plunge and wanted to to train to become a Samaritan but I thought rather than actually jumping straight in and training as a therapist I wanted to understand that I could do the work that that I wouldn't feel too impacted by hearing difficult material so Mm. I thought doing a helpline would help me get more of a sense of what that does to me so I did that first and after about four years I realized um I did it for four years and realized actually this is really what I want to do and that's what made me make the decision to actually go ahead and train properly as a therapist yeah and and um and how's how's that been for you is is it you know because it it sounds to me that the fact that you were when you describe yourself younger and being kind of you know very attentive um of what people's you know what people might have going on under so that must have been very exhausting and stressful mm. for you so does training yeah. professionally to understand people does has that alleviated that a bit for you personally as well as helping others yeah actually it helped massively because um what it did is it put a boundary around it it sort of took something that was like I don't know what you would call it like a if you call it a skill or a an aptitude I don't know what you would want to call it like a, an ability to do something but it was uncontained and it was um when I was young I wouldn't have the ability to sort of switch off and say no so I could be on the phone for hours and hours with someone um trying to support them or um and it was I I didn't have the best boundary so what would what was happening in my as I developed it into a career I learned how to take it and make it more productive by putting Mm. clear boundaries around it knowing that I can actually reach more people that way anyway and also look after myself as well and do it in a contained way um gave me huge skills and and I would say that was probably one of a huge value of doing this and um, I know you're training as a therapist as well so I don't know if you 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 find it I, as well, I'm not I'm, it, not, oh, I, not I'm not well I've, I've done I've done my level two I've completed my level two uh, so I'm not yeah okay all right cool well I mean you might identify with bits of it because um I found that it it completely got rid of um any sense of bleeding into my own life so I um I can hold a lot now um I've, I'm quite surprised at how much I can take and hold without it getting um without it in I'm going to use this word sort of I don't want to use language that's too clinical but without it bleeding into my own life I can hold the two things side by side quite strongly and I feel quite confident with that now um and I can hear a lot without getting sad it's 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 not about me and I can be alongside another person and I can hold my boundaries and live my own life and be able to do that quite well now and I'd Mm. say the training does help with that a lot it took time but it works yeah 
and I guess you have to be under supervision as well from your own yeah. therapist, which 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 must support you in that sense too, right? Is is that one yeah. of the reasons why you have supervision in order to like cope with maybe yeah. some of the stuff that you're hearing from clients seep into your own life? Kind of. So um, for anyone who doesn't know, like all therapists are kind of um, obliged to, or they should have uh, regular supervision as part of their practice. So all that means is that you have your client base, but um, at least once a week, you also see a supervisor who you talk through your caseload with. And your supervisors always kind of their back is with your client so that they're making sure that you're supporting your client appropriately but at the same time they're making sure that you are also feeling okay as you said because you might be affected by what you're hearing and it's just a place to explore that but it's also a place where you can work through something if a client is bringing something that triggers you in some way, something in your own history, rather than it being played out in the therapy room, you could take it to to the supervision setting and work it through there. And sometimes really useful things come out in that situation that you hadn't considered that you can then take back into the therapy with the client that you can use to help them support themselves in a different way. Um, so it, it's kind of that um, it serves that dual function it's both for you but it's also to make sure you're being as um, present with your client as possible that you can be um, so that you're not um, you're not affecting your client your supervisor's really on on the side of the client if right. anything yeah I see I see yeah. um what about the role that music plays in your life personally <laughs> You know, you told us a bit about that that kind of awakening moment in, yeah. in, in your teens. What about today? Um, yeah, it's a huge um, it's a huge part of my life. I mean, I don't think I'll ever. I think it's the same for a lot of people that when you when you find that band as a teenager that you love, nothing will ever quite reach that because it's like there's a certain age in your life um, where you are impacted by music and it changes everything for you it changes your whole world um and a lot of that is I mean there's a lot of research around that as well which some people I've spoken to um academics who talk about this um thing around age 14 there's this thing called the reminiscence gap um the woman the woman who researched that her name is Kelly I hope I say her name right, Kelly Jakubowski. She has researched this thing called the reminiscence gap, which is identified at age 14. Uh, Sorry, the the reminiscence bump, uh, which is where your memories are most acute. And it's the time when you come into contact with, uh, uh, you know, cultural things like music at that time of your life. And that's why the memories are so acute then. Um, so I would say nothing has ever come close to that experience, but I definitely listen to music now. I still love Oasis. I'm not ashamed to say it. (laughs) I always find comfort in listening to that music. Um, and, but 
it's it's not just that I'm not just an Oasis fan I love I love loads of different types of music and depending on what kind of mood I'm in um there'll always be something to help me and I think what I think of music is it almost is like a therapist in the sense that it will reflect back at you what you're feeling so if you if I'm feeling sad and I put on a sad song it's like someone saying oh yeah this is how you feel <laughs> As, mm. and me going and me saying yeah this is how I feel you understand me so there's kind of comfort in that um so I I I'm listening to it all the time I'm in to kind of let go and let loose as well as to like emotionally attune to it um it helps me when I'm working if I'm writing and I need to listen to something to get me into like the flow of it um it helps me yeah it just my words are escaping me today because a little bit because I'm a little bit tired I had it early morning so sorry if I'm a bit slow no no you're um, very lucid to me <laughs> um I was just thinking what I was saying there about um music being it's kind of like alongside me it sort of gets me into a state of mind where if I'm frozen for example like sometimes if I feel a bit overwhelmed I find that putting on certain songs can get rid of that completely it can just get me into a more productive mindset and it helps me if I'm like doing something really boring like the laundry or the dishes having music on just makes it more bearable (laughs) so just listening to podcasts actually that helps as well there's something similar going on there it's like auditory experience that takes me out of the, th- the thinking into my body and I think that's the thing when when you're connecting it to what's kind of happening I guess all of this it's taking you out of your head into your body it's it's connecting you to your senses and putting you in the here and now and that's what I think is lending itself to this feeling of feeling alive and feeling mm. awake um so it's very very powerful um yeah yeah <laughs> and and what's your you know just lastly what 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 what's your viewpoint on life as a musician the guys who are the, the men and women who make this amazing stuff that has such a powerful impact on us i know you've spoken to a lot of fantastic mm. musicians on your on your podcast um you know are there themes emerging for you about the the life of a musician and and the the factors affecting their mental health there's loads of issues there I mean um there's lots of research going on in that area and I'm sure you you've heard of a lot of it as well and um but what I what I would say there is that there's kind of two things going on because the thing that brings people to become a musician depending on what style of music we're talking about but there's what brings people to that career there's what music does to them and how it influences them and changes them. It's how music for them, the the actual playing of music, what that does for them, you know, emotionally, therapeutically. And all of that is a totally different experience to what the job of being 
in that industry is, which is something mm. else, which is like it's got a whole load of, uh, you know, the whole system of being um, the music industry system is set up in a way and it is changing, thankfully, but it has been historically set up in a way that if you have any kind of um, childhood, uh, I guess, if you're if you're predisposed to mental health issue or you've been through any kind of trauma as a child or anything like that or even in later life when you look at the kind of conditions of the of the music industry if you put someone um in that environment a lot of those things can get triggered and then you kind of they're exacerbated by like touring schedules and lack of sleep and um the pressure to keep performing and keep producing and um, getting reviews that are bad or having to maintain a presence on social media, all of that um, has an impact um, on your on your well-being anyway. But if you're predisposed somewhat to something, um, it will get triggered. Um, so I would say what I'm seeing is these two things side by side that there's something that being in that world gives in terms of identity and belonging. And at the same time, it comes with these kinds of um, side effects or repercussions as a result of being in that world, um, which thankfully now are being much betterly, that's not a word, much better addressed. Yeah. <laughs> betterly addressed. Because um, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of... Um, Amazon Embleton, she she's um just produced a book uh which is specific to this to that topic. Um mm. is the music industry. Um it's got a long title. The title escapes me right now. Um the music industry manual, music and mental health, music industry manual. It's it's for musicians on tour. It goes into all of that and it's a really fantastic book. I really recommend it if anyone is interested in looking at the academic side of what research is going on behind the scenes in that area. Um, but there's, I'm finding, yeah, I'm finding that there's there's two strands to it and I, I'm finding it all fascinating because it's, it's linked to, I, I, I think what I personally enjoy is hearing the psychology of it all and the mm-hmm. um the sense of belonging and identity that people get or talk about in why they went down that road that's what really interests me um yeah yeah i hope that's <laughs> i hope that's answered it I, it has it has yeah, and uh, you know we, you've covered so much fascinating ground and um i really appreciate you spending time talk to me because it is a a fascinating subject you speak about it really really interestingly both here today and also on your podcast which i can highly recommend to my listeners sound effects which is available throughout all the usual channels and and just before i let you go um you've also got a couple of fantastic books which are available which we haven't had a chance to talk about but which i will include links to in the show notes uh just just tell us what they're called before we let you go and then um and people can link and, and with any luck buy them Sure, thank you. Um, well, yeah, one is called um, How to Understand and Deal with Stress, 
Um, and the other is um, your mind matters, how to talk about your mental health. Um, so the, the one about stress is kind of um, how to help you identify that you're feeling stressed. I think because this is something I've noticed in your previous podcast episodes that I've listened to, people talk a lot about that moment of crisis and you you often talk with them about that before period of how to identify mm. that things are not quite okay and mm. I guess with in my book I kind of talk about that before stuff like how to identify that you're um like how to know that you're likely to be stressed even if you're not consciously aware of yeah, it just yet. totally that you're totally yeah I mean I, I 100% think that's so important it would have been so important to me I didn't have that ability I wouldn't wouldn't allow myself to acknowledge the existence of stress mm-hmm. until it was you know late in the game and I and I hit a crisis and that seems to be so reoccurring so particularly so many blokes who aren't perhaps as emotionally aware you know, which I certainly yeah. wasn't. So that that's a fantastic, um, fantastic subject. I think. Thank you. Yeah, and the 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 other one, um, how to talk about your mental health. That's more around like if you start to feel that you have got some, you're starting to identify that maybe there's a problem, but you don't quite know what the problem is, and you don't quite know how to articulate it, or whether it's actually a thing, or whether it, you know, what it is. It's just helping you. It gives you a very um, basic overview of what some of the different mental health issues are and what they might look like. But it also helps to give you some language around it that if you're if you think you're feeling something and you want to express it, it gives you a bit of a language of how to approach someone with it how what to say um and whether that's a friend or a doctor a helpline and it kind of explains the different avenues that you can look for so if you don't want clinical support I kind of explain what you can do but if you do want clinical support I explain like how you access it um and it's just helping you kind of navigate it a bit in that way but it also gives a few tips to people who are on the receiving end so anyone who is supporting someone with an issue if someone comes to them and says I'm experiencing this it gives them a few tips for how to hear it and listen to it and Mm. um so that they feel empowered to know what to do as well um yeah well they both sound like fantastic books uh i'll certainly be investigating them both katarina thank you ever so much for joining me today on the reset it's been a real pleasure meeting you and let's stay in touch thanks a lot thank you sam that was katie giorgio I'd love to hear from you about your relationship with music and specifically the role it plays in your mental health. You can always get in touch with me via samdelaney.substack.com where you can join chats with other subscribers and also get access to bonus podcasts and newsletters. That's it for this week. Thanks, Katie, for being a great guest. Search for her podcast, Sound Effects. That's effects with an A wherever you get your pods and check it out. Thanks as always for listening, gang. Until next time, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. (laughs) 